Hey folks, welcome to the House of Kraus. I'm Richard Kraus. We're taking you back to the 1970s, to Nova Scotia in the 1970s to be precise. So grow your hair, throw on your tie-dyed shirts, get the elephant pants out of storage, and join us as we have a look at the movie Weirdos from screenwriter Daniel McIver and director Bruce McDonald takes place in 1976. There's a 15-year-old named Kit. He's bored. He's restless. He's dreaming of a more glamorous life in the big city away from the confines of the small town where he lives with his dad and his grandmother. He gets his girlfriend Alice to help him and they hitchhike towards a new home with his glamorous mother played by Molly Parker. She's wonderful. She knows Andy Warhol. She's worldly. She's been around. She's the epitome of everything that Kit has been dreaming of. But as they near their final destination, Kit and Alice are up against it. Their relationship is tested as Kit approaches a realization that will change his life forever. This is really wonderful stuff. I saw this movie way back in August. I had just been in Nova Scotia for a few days and when I came back, I went to the theater, saw the movie, and I felt as though I was still in Nova Scotia. I felt like I was transported back there at least for another hour and a half, two hours while I was in the theater. It's really great stuff. Daniel McIver really catches that we got to get out of this place if it's the last thing we ever do kind of ennui that a lot of teens in small towns feel. And Bruce McDonald brings beautiful black and white photography to this. You got to check it out. It's in theaters March 17th. Check your local listings. It'll be somewhere near you and you know you want to see weirdos. Here's my talk with Bruce McDonald and Daniel McIver. When I first saw this film, I had just come back from a trip to Nova Scotia and I remember remarking on the plane back to my wife who was not from Nova Scotia. I was born and raised there but haven't lived there for a long time. And every time I go back there, I am kind of thrown back into being a 19-year-old or, or being a teenager and and uh, with all the conflicting feelings that I had about living there and wanting to leave there at the time. And it's funny how it affects me. Every time again, there's a lot of ghosts down there for me. So then I come back, and a day or so later, I watch this movie, which is about uh, two young people who leave Antigonish, Nova Scotia, another part of the province and where I'm from, to make it to Cape Breton to... Well, dot, dot, dot. We're not going to give the away. The big city of Sydney. The big city. Yeah, we're not going to give away too much about <clears> what <throat> happens in the thing. But um, I was really taken uh, by how watching that movie felt like a continuation of my trip to Nova Scotia. I think that this movie really captures beautifully a time and a place that feels because the movie is set in the late 70s, early 80s, I think. 76. 76. And. It, it feels like it, and yet it felt very contemporary for me at the same time. Hmm, good. So, Daniel, tell me, you wrote it. Is that how the product, did, did you collaborate? Now, how did this work? Um, Bruce, uh, Bruce, uh, um, as he does, uh, he writes me a letter, a letter uh, with a pen and paper and a stamp, <laughs> and he puts it in the mail. Because you don't email, do you, Bruce? I, I have a guy named Patrick Whistler who helps me with the well, email. Now what Bruce is doing, he has, didn't do this at the time, but now his thing is he writes the letter and then he scans it and has it emailed. But if it has to get there really fast. If it has fast. to get quickly. Right. But anyway, so he sent me this letter and I have the letter. The letter is actually exists in my archives at the University of Guelph. I save all Bruce's letters and send them on. But this one, he was, he's been asking me for a long time about... Oh, this one, no, this is different. This is different. He, he asked me for a chamber piece, but that was another thing. This time I approached him 
with an idea. Yeah. And it was uh, the idea was about it was a very simple idea. It was about a, I wanted to do a, a boy runs away from his he runs away from home, fa his father to his mother and then realizes something and then goes and calls his father and asks him to pick him up and take him home. That was kind yeah. of the that was the pitch <laughs> to me, right? That was and the pitch. I, and and I loved it. And he said, "Yeah." So <laughs> then we met, so we went uh, we, you know, we're friends. And so I went for dinner. We went we, we we went I went for dinner at his place and he had invited a producer. And um the and so he said and Bruce like pitch it pitch it so I pitched it and and the producer asked a whole lot of producery questions right. and I I have a bit of a thing about producers. I love them. They're wonderful. But this is the thing about producers. It's kind of like if you're trying to grow some corn, you know, and you plant some corn in some dirt and you show it to a producer and they go, I can't taste the corn. And you're like, well, you got to grow it. And then the thing grows and then they grab it out. They don't even peel it or anything. They start eating it. And they're like, it doesn't taste like corn. And you're like, well, you got to, you know, take the stock off and everything. And, and, then, and then they try eating it. And it's like, you got to cook it now. And then it's like, then you got to put butter on it. I mean, it, you know, they want the corn. Salt. Right yeah. away. Anyway, so the producer was kind of looking for the corn, and I thought, I can't, I'm not doing this anymore. So I said to Bruce, you know what, I'm not doing I can't, I'm done. I can't, the theater, I love theater, and film is nice, but I got to go. Anyway, and then he wrote me this that's beautiful... That's when I wrote you the letter. Yeah, that's yes. when you wrote me this beautiful letter, and he just described, it makes me kind of, make, it, 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 it chokes me up, actually. He wrote this beautiful letter just describing, because the hitchhiking was part of the deal, mm -hmm. and he described, like, what you would hear on the road. Right. Like what you would hear in that, like at that time when you were hitchhiking, and like how you the bugs and this this the sound of the heat and the set anyway, and it was so beautiful, and I just thought, all right, to hell with it, I'll do it. So then <laughs> I'm I, glad you did. Daniel. Then I started writing, and then of course there's many <clears throat> many drafts, and then you're trying to get some corn to grow, mm -hmm. you know, and then eventually. You know, you and then Bruce comes along and puts the salt on it. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. right. That's right. the salt and the butter. That's yeah. right. Yes. And, and so a, a story like this, it is, uh, I think, beautiful in its simplicity of yeah. the story. But the details were the thing that, that really grabbed me. You talk about hitchhiking. I grew up hitchhiking from place to place. Yeah. That's how you got around in the late 70s sure. in Nova Scotia. Sure. Uh, so that was very evocative to me. The scenes in Weirdos where the, the, the two kids are hitchhiking. The idea of unsafe hitchhiking was also something that right. you had to be very careful about oh, down there. Alone, you could walk on. Yeah. yeah. Or, or you could get rides, but sometimes <laughs> you didn't want the rides that That's, you could get. Yeah. So all that really grabbed me. The music I thought was so evocative of the time, uh, the little dance sequence to I'm a Star in New York, I'm a yeah. Star in L.A. by Patsy, <laughs> Patsy uh, Gallant. Yeah. You know, really just grab me. So tell me, Bruce, a little bit, story aside, just making the feel of this film, getting the feel for 1976 in Nova Scotia. Uh, well, as Daniel was suggesting or telling you guys, uh, the first kind of notion for me was summertime. Yeah. Uh, hot summer, summer beginning, what to do with summer. Uh, I always love music in summer. Mm -hmm. I love music on AM radio and driving in a car and the wind going. Uh, so all those those little elements were really appealing, not growing up in Nova Scotia, but having hitchhiked through Nova Scotia. Right. <clears throat> um, I kind of instantly connected with, with these uh, elements that Daniel had put forward. And I love the idea that there's a TV element in it, too, because it is 1976 in July, July actually 3rd. July 3rd and 4th. There's something going on across the border in the United States called the Bicentennial, the yeah. biggest party 
to date, I guess. And so everywhere these kids go, in people's houses and things, there's America's on TV, but Canada's on the radio. And this was probably not that long after the CRTC gave a huge push to Canadian mm-hmm. music by saying radio stations need to play a certain amount of Canadian music. So uh, there was this kind of beautiful ex- uh, flourishing of all these artists and bands and I mean people that had maybe been there and was, were hopefully going to go for it anyway. But uh, we got to dip into Patsy Gallant yeah. and the Stampeders and Crowbar and April Wine and Andy Kim and Murray McLaughlin and... Uh, the Murray McLaughlin song. Oh. It's so great. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I'll tell you, I worked in radio around the time that they brought in those. I worked at a place called CKBW in Bridgewater, Nova Scotia, and we had this big bank of forty-five. So back then, uh, the the DJ played their own records. So you would look at this big bank of 45s and there would be uh, a stack that said uh, mid-tempo, fast-tempo, you know, only after ten o'clock at night, that kind of thing. And uh, there was a Canadian row and so every third song that you played had to come from the canadian row yeah and you didn't really choose you just took the first song the first 45 (laughs) in the put it on and played it and hoped that you know they all kind of made sense banging them all together but that's how the cancon worked for us anyway the song song. we're talking about is uh murray mclaughlin's down by the henry moore which is such a perfect kind of it's a, so it's the most Toronto song ever. It's well, it's the most song. Toronto song ever, but it's also for me as I was watching it, and it doesn't give anything away to say that this ha- this song played it's, it plays at the end of the film, and it is for me uh, melancholy, but still really joyful Joyous. at the same yeah, time. That's and, right. And I don't know, I don't know exactly what the word is to describe how that song made me feel, but I hadn't heard it in ages. Yeah. And I was watching the movie, and the scene that's happening. You know, looking in through the window yeah. at that thing just made me happy, sad while yeah, I was well, watching. Yeah, I mean, it. joyous <laughs> melancholy. Maybe we've just nailed what the Canadian identity maybe, is. Maybe that's <laughs> a it. kind of joyous melancholy, yeah. isn't it? Maybe that's sort sure, of kind sure. of what we're made of, sort of. Maybe. Hmm. I'm talking with Bruce McDonald and Daniel McIver. Their new film, Weirdos, is in theaters right now. Uh, I think you might be right about that because as I was watching this film that that song which i even had to struggle in my memory bank to remember who sang it but i remembered all the words to it is one of those yeah. things that is just sort of ingrained in you i think as a canadian of a certain age you know but but it really uh, i just thought it was a beautiful a beautiful ending to a, a film yeah. that took me places that i I didn't really expect to go, but was really happy to be there when I got there. That's huh. great. Yeah, that's great. Great. Uh, yeah, but, I think I, I you know, about you know, the thing. Mm-hmm. One of the, the thing is the movie is the movie, and the movie is happening, and you're enjoying it to whatever extent you're enjoying. It, and then suddenly Molly appears. Yeah, Molly Parker, and she gives a performance that is. Uh, sublime. You know, sublime is to me, I love the word sublime because it, it, it's like uh, beautifully terrifying. <laughs> that's kind of what it is. She's so she's so close to being off the rails, yeah. but yet she's just riding it and she, it's so beautiful. Yeah, it is pretty, pretty wonderful to see her. Bruce, uh, you have a long history of working with her. We both have, uh, yeah. Daniel and I. I think she I was first my girlfriend. Met Molly. Uh, <laughs> was she? There was a Twitch television City. series called Twitch City <laughs> yeah, where Daniel right. and Molly were boyfriend right. and girlfriend. Right. And Daniel got sent to jail for killing Al Waxman with a bag of cat food, <laughs> who was homeless, as we found the wonderful Al Waxman in Kensington Market, dropped a little 
from the King of Kensington. Yeah. So Daniel was sent to jail, and Molly and uh, Don McKellar held the fort, and uh, Don stole Molly from Daniel. His roommate, yeah, I was yeah. his roommate. <clears throat> anyway, yeah. And uh, so, and we've worked together on a film called Trigger yeah. with uh, Molly Parker and Tracy Wright, and so uh, it's great to work with family. It doesn't give anything away to say that there is a young boy in this movie who decides to leave Antigonish, Nova Scotia with his girlfriend to hitchhike to Sydney, the big city of Sydney, to find his mother. Yeah, and to uh, live with his mom because yeah. she's cool and she knows Andy Warhol. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and Molly Parker plays the mother. And uh, we're picking up the story with Molly Parker in the U.S. She's doing all sorts of big-time TV down there. You've worked with her a lot, and you gave her a call and spoke to her agent, Murray. Yeah, so because Daniel and I, when, when we wrote it, we, the, she was the first person we thought of. And I was a little nervous, thinking, gosh, you know, this is a, you don't have a lot of money to make this right. movie. It's, you know, you know, kind of what we have. So I phoned up Murray and I said, well, we've got this project. Could I send the script? And he said, yeah, send the script. And he says, call me back after Molly's read it. And I'm getting nervous because I think, now i got to talk about money. And, <laughs> uh, and I don't even have like a guy to sort of do that for me. And uh, I said, well, Murray, what she's doing it. And I go, well, don't, uh, <laughs> do you want to talk about <laughs> yeah. money? And talk? she says, she's doing it. She doesn't, money, don't worry about it. Just whatever happens, happens. And she's in. Wow. And it was such a great conversation. But that was the, the only talk we'd ever had about money or negotiating. There was nothing about, oh, we need a, you know. Her trailer has trailer. to be bigger than everybody yeah, else's. So it was just a delight. <laughs> and she, and when she finished up, I remember, she says, you know, I haven't had this much fun. And, like, it was just so great. And she was a great helper to the other actors and she had great ideas for the team anyway it was it was it's always a delight. and it was the same with Hako Hako Alan Hako who yeah. well, actually I taught uh, years ago so uh, <laughs> and uh, he got me a stint on Republic of Doyle which helped me because he got me enough money to put a down payment on a house which I was gonna you know it's <laughs> like the Hako palace or something yeah, yeah. but anyway the Hako uh, house. he and when he got he was approached he was the same way he was just there was no kind of dealing there was just like wanted to do it and we were going to do it and he yeah. did it and uh my sister saw a cut of the movie and i think she's now in the hako army she's made him <laughs> her favorite human on the planet she's so in love with him because he's, well, he's, he's a pretty he's a movie star. Yeah. lovely he's, guy yeah. now uh, did you write either of those parts with them in mind uh <laughs> i always want i'm always thinking about molly because yeah. we're you know and um i i you know i yeah i went when hako came, hako came up really really early um, uh, for me, um, uh, in, in my thinking about it, but you know, it's because I'm working with Bruce, I do, I do kind of, I don't want to kind of come to him with like, here's the script and everybody in it, right, you know, right, I right. think that we want not a bad place to start, you know, because it's great for a writer to have that in mind because it's sort of tuned nicely to that. And it doesn't always work out that way, but it's also great to have that in mind uh, as you read it. Mm -hmm. And then we've got I just you know not to we don't want to talk about everybody because it would take us forever. <laughs> but I do want to say I was pretty I was really excited that Kathy Jones is yeah. Alan Hako's mother. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that is a pretty amazing <laughs> little thing there. Yeah. I love that so much. We do have to talk about the two young people in the film, absolutely, because they are both quite remarkable. They are really we talk about Molly Parker and Alan Hako and all the actor and Kathy Jones, all the people that that the names of people people know. These are names that people probably won't know, but they are the backbone. They are the very spine of the film. Yeah, uh, Dylan Authors, who plays the, the title character, the lead character, um, I had met him on a film called The Husband, where he played a good, great supporting part. 
And I think part of the th- reason I loved him, other than it's fun to work with him and he's very talented, he had that kind of Bud Court look. Yeah, he does. You know? Bud Court. Harold and Maude. Yeah. <laughs> and it kind of took me back to that. You're talking about 70s. Yeah. And uh, it was Molly's agent, uh, Murray, again, who said, hey, Bruce, have you cast the other, you know, the, the, the female lead girl, the young teenage girl? I said, well, actually, no. He says, well, you should have a look at this other client of mine. She's uh, very talented from Vancouver, Julia Sarah Stone. And he set up a little meeting. I met her, and I was kind of decided that she would be in the yeah. movie after I met her for 15 minutes. She yeah. was, she's, uh, she kills it. She's there was great. something about, and I, I'm sure that, I hope Dylan will forgive me for this, but it, you know, there were, uh, there was, a, it was, there were a few contenders right. uh, for that part. And I went to, really went to bat for Dylan uh, uh, my, because I just felt he was truly a weirdo. <laughs> like, he, like you look at that guy as a weirdo and it was perfect and the other guys were like good guys but they were you look at those guys and go they're actors right but Dylan's like a weirdo and I mean that in the most loving and well, wonderful way well that's the thing right so the idea of of being a weirdo in the movie is that you know they are someone who who stands just outside maybe of the very inner circle but I think that there's more people on the outside of the circle than there are on the inside of the circle. So really, about 80%, 90% of us are weirdos. <laughs> yeah, that's you know? right. Well, in the movie, Andy Warhol is in the movie. Not You're a weirdo, weirdo Richard. Richard. You're a great weirdo. The, You're awesome. Uh, Andy Warhol's character, he's a character who plays someone like Andy Warhol, who says, you know, he, yeah. there's this talk about weirdos, and he says, oh, honey, we're all weirdos. That's why, you know, that's what makes us beautiful. Yeah. You know, so that that's, the, yeah, I think that there is that... There's, I think there's a lot more on the weirdo side of the line than the other side. Oh, of the I line. think so too. I, I, I also love that Andy Warhol is kind of his spirit animal. You yes. know, like yeah. he's, he sort of yeah. shows up to, yeah. like, not always give the most helpful advice, but, really. but, but offer advice but along it, the way. Like Andy Warhol would give <laughs> yeah. advice, I think, probably. But I, I thought, again, that, that Warhol was, was the perfect choice to have as an imaginary friend or, or, or whatever, <laughs> whatever he is to this character, yeah. Yeah. the spirit animal to this yeah. character. Because growing up down there in 1976, um, we as kids only would have heard about Andy. We wouldn't really have known exactly who he was because yeah. you couldn't let, you know, it was harder to find out about people like that. But we knew if you were kind of a weirdo growing up down there, that he was a counterculture figure that might be interesting to hang out with and someone that you might aspire to hanging out with at some point. So for me, having this film set at the time frame that it's set in and having Andy Warhol be that character, I thought was a beautiful little touch that really spoke to the understanding of the, the time, the place, and the characters. But didn't you feel, Richard, I always felt that there was a kind of a New York connection on because of the East Coast because thing a the little. Coast. There was just an awareness that... I remember, like there was the the Ben's Delicatessen, which was where you yeah. got the magazines yeah, in yeah. Sydney. They would always get one Village Voice and one Interview magazine. We, yeah, see, yeah, we used to get uh, that stuff in Nova Scotia too, because yeah, yeah. you could, you it was close enough. See, I he, guess that you could he, get. He calls it. Yeah. He's a mainlander, right? He calls main like Nova Scotia is the mainland, and Cape Breton is Cape Breton. <laughs> <laughs> but well, we do that too. Cape Bretoners do that too. I loved that it is a fairly quiet film. It's a film that. Uh, things reveal themselves, um, and there's no big crashing moment. There's a series of little moments that I think taken as a whole, you might go, oh, well, that's that's the big, the effect of it, if you add them all up. But there, it's a, a nice rolling feel of, of, mm. of little moments. Um, 
That's my specialty, little moments. Little. That's what I do. I'm not, if you, you don't come to me for the big moment movie, right? <laughs> Correct, Bruce? Well, all the little adds up to big. You well, know? I find the little moments big. My, me, that's my thing, is those yeah. little moments are the big moments. But anyway, yes, but it's true. But there's an interaction, and I don't want to give anything away, but there's an interaction between uh, the main character and another young guy that I thought was so uh, uh, kind of written sensitively, and then when they are interrupted, the reaction of the of the other guy is absolute was absolutely bang on. Mm. Uh, it was it, it was something that just felt so real to me. Yeah, well, that's you know, and the, I get you know how do how do you talk about stuff without giving it away, mm -hmm. right? But but there, um, I, you know, I grew up uh, I grew up in Sydney. Um, and well, it's funny because my big escape from Sydney was actually Anaganish. Right. Because Anaganish was like the university town, and so there were a lot of sort of thinkers, or it felt right. yeah, like yeah. there was a bigger mind or something in Anaganish. Yeah, yeah. And Sydney was a little and more. And lots of young people and people, people from away. Yes, yes, yes people yeah. from away. Yeah. And so I grew up in Sydney as um, there were. It was I was pretty aware of the fact that I was gay pretty early, and there was me and one other guy. Right. And that was it. That was the whole like that was the gay po as far as you know as, <laughs> yeah, as far as you knew. A, the yeah. gay population and and it was pretty closeted. But uh, but so it was a it was um, and you know it's funny it hasn't really I think there's probably still just two gay people in Sydney actually <laughs> no I, I I don't know it's it's still you know that it's 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 uh, I I think there is a more of a community there now but it's still it's not there's not a there's not an official gathering place still. It's still got a kind of, Nova it, Scotia has a funny. Well, it does, uh, I'll, I'll give you this, but we'll, we'll get back to the movie in a second, but I was just in my hometown, Liverpool, Nova Scotia, and Liverpool, Nova Scotia has become very gay friendly in a way that I might not have imagined it might have well, there, years when I lived there 30, you know, some the, odd years Sydney ago. Sydney has a, has a gay pride day and a parade and everything yeah. now, so that's great. Yeah. Um, but it, back in the 70s, it was, uh, not well. It was like that anywhere. I remember the big thing for me in the seventies was the one little outlet they, that I had, like that something was Dynasty. There was a gay character on Dynasty, <laughs> and then halfway through the season they made him bisexual, <coughs> and then he went off with a woman, and that was the end of it. I was so crushed. <laughs> that was it. I was done. Who played? No I don't more remember that character. He was like, I think like Pamela Sue Martin was married to right. him mm -hmm. uh, or he, maybe he was her brother or something. I don't know. <laughs> vague. It's all vague. Some dynasty fan will write in and let yeah, us we'll know, know, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll know. <laughs> I actually, somebody, I, I, yeah, you could actually, I, I, there was a period of time when I could actually uh, tell you all of uh, Alexis Carrington's last names. So she's got eight of them or something. Yeah. She was married so many times. So a series of small moments that add up into big, lovely moments. Uh, but this is a smaller film. I think it's completely fair to say. Yeah. Bruce, what's the place of a film like this when the multiplexes are jammed with people in capes and movies with people in yeah, capes? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you, where does it go? I mean, there's independent theaters. Mm -hmm. There's We're lucky in here in Toronto to have places like uh, the, the Lightbox, which shows all kinds of great films from big and small um, you know, independent films. Then, of course, online things. Mm -hmm. It's always been, for independent films generally, up until internet days, DVDs were yeah. how people discovered independent films. And um, So I think this is a film that people will discover. Uh, maybe not everybody at the theater. It's a nice way to kind of launch it, and the word starts to spread, and that's where you then find it 
on your device or you find it on your Netflix or Netflix wherever it is. You know, sort of As a filmmaker, though, do you care where people see it or do you just want people to see it? Well, you, uh, I still love the theater. Yeah. I mean, I love going to the theater and I love sitting with people and watching it on a big screen. And yeah. it's, you're focused, it's dark, and uh, I love, I just love that. But I, you know, you want, not everybody goes to the theater anymore. So, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it's so easy now to, you know, it's very helpful in a way for independent films because there are a lot more sort of outlets for those things. The, the, the trick is to sort of cut through the noise a little bit mm -hmm. and how do you kind of place it. Uh, so for an independent film, even things like the title of the movie is something that is like a huge right. thing that you talk about. Uh, for example, on this, this used to be called 1970-something and it used to be called something else. And we finally for settled on weirdos partly because of that Twitter, internet uh, understanding that people would discover it there and we thought well weirdos is maybe better equipped as a kind of a little missile to go out there 1970 something would take up all your characters <laughs> right <laughs> it you, certainly you, would you, and, <clears throat> and, but weirdos i like the title because for me it's evocative of something it's evocative yeah. of everyone who ever called me a weirdo yeah. when i was growing up mm. it's that uh but it also it, it it well it's just it it's evocative the 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 movie titles that i don't get are titles that that don't mean anything right. or that are clichés or just platitudes right. um that that could be anything a lot of romantic comedies had titles that that don't stick in your head for more than a second a a, a title like weirdo i think will stay in your head a little bit yeah and i think we're really happy with that and it's part of our ammunition to get out there because uh uh, we just don't, you don't have the machine behind it. Mm -hmm. So it's spread, a film like this is spread by word of mouth, by you generously having us here on your show. Uh, it's fantastic. We're very, very excited about that. And, you know, we want to turn people onto it because I think there are a lot of people that would uh, love to discover something like this. As a writer, as a writer, I feel <laughs> this is what concerns me about this idea of the small film and its place. Right. It's not so much about its place. It, to me, you know, I love visuals. I'm a very visual person, but I, I can I can see it on, on various kinds of screens, and I'm I'm okay with that. Right. With that, um, I, I I like to uh, for me, I want the sound to be good. Because, yeah. You know. Right. But what concerns me a little bit because I've been looking back at some '70s stuff lately, just kind of watching some '70s movies, and I and I'm reminded that we used to we they movies there used to be a lot of movies made about people having feelings. Right. And all of a sudden, it seems like everything's got to be, everybody wants conflict right away. This is the corn, right? That's one of yep. those things that the producer wants, conflict. Yeah. Where's the conflict? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, the conflict has to kind of come holistically from this journey that we're going to take on well, making this. And thing. you have to care about the characters in order for there to be some kind of conflict <laughs> yeah. that you care, care about. about the conflict yeah. and so but sometimes you know that, that that i think that we're sort of being pushed into the telling stories in a in a way right. that's starting to eliminate some kinds of stories that get told and that and i think this is the thing that you i've heard you talk in, about th films getting lost in the shuffle yeah. and yeah. these are and films that get lost in the shuffle are often films that you can't just describe in a sentence or mm -hmm. it's not like buddy shoots buddy and this happens or yeah, you yeah. know like yeah. that that the, the films that are more di difficult to describe and and the kind of things that really take us on a, a true a sort of interior journey those films get a little bit lost and then what do we stop making those movies because people kind of have are now going by some book that tells them what a movie has to be made of before the movie's even made that's my little bit of a concern i'll say well that's like the, yeah. the robert mcgee 
Aurora oh, McKee, right? The, yeah, and so if, if you don't know who he is, he's the screenwriting guru who teaches you in five easy steps how to write, how to a, write a screenplay, a which is kind of, I suppose, like the idea. Uh, they used to say that Harlequins had a formula, you know, that by page five, the main mm. couple has to meet. By page seven, they have to kiss. By page eight, they, and it's good if he's a fireman or a cowboy and she should be a nurse and, you know, all that kind of stuff. If they have a, a, a dog, good. Cat means that we don't like them probably. So, you know, there's all those little the, all those little tricks. That's what Robert McKee That's does. That's what he does. And, and But basically, he does, what he did was he looked at a bunch of screenplays yeah. that worked and took them apart and found some similarities. But, Okay, there, you know, that's that's sort of that does strike me as a bit anecdotal, but anyway. Um, my feeling about that, we're out of time for this segment. My feeling about that, though, if there was an algorithm to figure out how to make hits all the time, there'd be nothing but there'd hits. Nothing so hits. There, it is not possible, exactly. I don't yeah. think, to study these things and, and figure out what works that's, uh, from one point to that's another. That's your memoir title, Nothing But Hits. <laughs> Bruce, I touched on this earlier. You're not from there. You don't know. How did you get it right? <laughs> uh, Danny McIver. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, the whole crew that we worked with were all from there. Uh, the director of photography, the assistant director. So, the, you know, the team makes the movie with you. And they, with Daniel, we choose locations. We choose landscapes. We choose actors. So it's a kind of a, you know, I'm leading the charge, but, you know, I'm soliciting opinions and thoughts from Daniel, who's kind of my, you know, left-handed gun, my right-hand man. Uh, so we kind of consult on all these issues. And uh, yeah, I think that's part of the, re the, the reason why it is so Bruce came down Authentic. when Bruce came down while while he was writing a, in in the third draft or somewhere and and we drove from the Annapolis Valley all the way down through mm. Banaganish and on the on but the old I must highways. say Daniel when I arrived picked me up at the airport and as I got in the car he had already put a playlist together yeah, yeah, yeah. of music and he says all right I'll let me hit you with this and <laughs> yeah. off we That's went That's right I did have the I did Do you have listen the, to music while you're writing oh God, the yeah. era just yeah. to, like yeah. I used to have all, I'm like I would say half the songs on the soundtrack were part of the like that was something that I know Bruce loves music and so that was part of the the the, the pitch too was music and yeah. that we were you know I, I think we probably got about half I think probably you got that, a lot of that yeah, from that first from drive that first from drive <laughs> and we drove and we drove down through uh, all the old highways down through Anaganish and then all the way down into Sydney and then back and and uh, we had lots of weather we had rain and we had you know it was like you got to see kind of the the the, the I mean I know you'd seen it before but we took a kind of we we took a off the beaten track um, I, I also think I remember interviewing you last year Bruce uh, and you said oh tomorrow I'm going to Nova Scotia to start shooting this film yes. and that was a year ago September and I was like they're gonna start shooting in September I know, it's don't very they dicey. know what kind of weather they're in for <laughs> because as you say if you don't like the weather now yeah. wait 10 minutes because right. it will change yeah. yeah but you're pretty lucky we were blessed that we caught the last gasp of summer yeah and uh, we, yeah we shot into October but not too deep into October and yeah it's beautiful one of the things about uh, this film is the the period details are, are are great, but I'm not sure that you could have as easily shot this and and you can address this probably uh, in Vancouver if it was a story about two Vancouver kids or two kids from Tofino or something right. because Nova Scotia large chunks of it still look charmingly 
like the they set. did in 1976. Yeah. Yes, there was very well, little that we had to change. You don't have to do a lot of set decoration. Well, they there. started twinning the highways, and then everyone just abandoned. They started twinning the highways, and so everybody abandoned yep. the the old highways yep. and stopped developing them. And then suddenly, there you have your old gas station and your old ice cream shack, and you know, yeah, no, it was, it was the restaurant. To found these the places. restaurant that I found in Nova Scotia off an old highway this last trip down was called the Happy Cooker, which oh. I loved. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. The Happy Cooker. <laughs> that's a Nova Scotia and, pun. Yeah, it's a Nova Scotia pun. And, and it struck me that it was, you know, probably there since the 70s and, and virtually unchanged. The yeah, well, that's the delight of Nova Scotia. It's so beautiful to drive around these small roads and you make these discoveries of these little diners and places and the architecture. And it's, you feel like you're somewhere different. It's, an, it's the price you pay for, like, you know, it's like, well, there's not incredible development. Like, mm -hmm. there, there's some law, there's some suffering because of that. But on the other side of it, then there's not the, all the, the kind of the, the, the destruction of development. Well, I, I, I get that. What I found going to Nova Scotia, I, I was there, I go once a year. I go back to visit my family, my, my dad's uh, older now, and, and, and uh, I go down to see them as much as possible. And you know, I grew up in a pulp and paper mill town. That's all there was. There were the people that worked at the pulp and paper mill, and then there were the people that owned the stores that sold things to the people that worked <laughs> at the paper pulp mill, and that's what it was. And fishing, to a lesser extent. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, as time wore on, the pulp and paper industry, the bottom fell out of that, and things kind of fell apart uh, in my little part of Nova Scotia in kind of a desperate sort of way. And the thing that happened that I think was the greatest thing that could have happened for that town is they finally knocked all the old mill buildings down. Because as long as those buildings were there, people would look. And people whose father and grandfather and great-grandfather had worked at that mill, they would look at it and go, geez, it might reopen. It's, it might possibly reopen. Wow, they're still hanging on yeah, to that so it was, But now they've plowed it down. <clears throat> There's nothing left there. It's just a, it's an empty stretch of land now. And it was huge. Uh, and now people are saying, oh, well, that's never coming back. They're opening breweries. They're right. you know, making the, right. the town Wine is coming regions, back to life. Yeah. 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 And down there, I was amazed at all the distilleries. There's great gin they make down there. Right. The wine's good right. down there now. Right. That's it's true. changed so That's much. Well, ever... It's funny. They did a similar thing in Sydney with the steel plant that right. was sat there for years and years. And for many years, people worked at the steel plant just upkeeping the steel plant mm -hmm. without ever making any steel. Yeah. And that went on for years. And finally, it, they shut it down. And now they've gotten rid of it. And they've, they've, basically put concrete down and put a park in and they're trying to, you know, uh, yeah, they're doing, that's a very similar thing they're doing in Sydney. Yeah, I think yeah. the idea was, uh, what it said to me is you have to take away take that Take away hope. the safety net. Take away the safety net, you hope, know? Hope will get you every time. That's well, the thing. you got to watch out for that hope. It, it, well, it's good to have hope, uh, but, uh, but in this case, we, in that's this another case, show. it's another show. <laughs> we'll get to that in another show. So uh, we've just got a few minutes left. Weirdos is in theaters right now. My guests are Bruce McDonald, the director of the film, and Daniel McIver, the uh, screen writer uh, is there a message to the film or is it just a is it a, a, a slice of nostalgia for some of us were there who were there and a look back for others maybe who weren't there I think anything I've ever done especially in movies I when I look at all the movies that I've done and were uh, written there's always this, it seems to be and I don't know where this comes from but it's always the same story as and the, the, it's the point or the message of the, is that family isn't really what you think it is. Family can look very different. Right. Family is not the the mom and the dad and the two kids and the dog. Family is a whole bunch of things. Well, family can be where you find it. 
Right, and you and 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 sometimes it's a very mixed group of people that create this family, and some of them aren't even related. And then, yeah. like, but so for some reason, this is the thing. I don't, and it's not in the theater. It's funny. It's only in the in the cinema that it always seems to be this thing about what does a family look like, and and that's I that's that the, to me the, the 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 kind of the heartbreak of the end. The beautiful for me, the beautiful heartbreak of the way he shot it, and is that is that you see a kind of family form a reforming. Yeah. Um. In in the in the kitchen. Yeah, it kind of breaks apart and it and it comes back together in this kind of pretty beautiful way. Yeah, in a beautiful kind of melancholy way, though, for me. But <clears> it, but it, with the music and the way it shot, the films in black and white, we should mention as well, which I thought was perverse. Uh, yeah, well, well, I love it though, but it is perverse. It, you know, you've got the most beautiful landscape in the world, <laughs> and we're going to put them in black and we're going to do it in black and white, which I love. I mean, it's audacious as hell. And why black and white, Bruce? Uh, black and white is beautiful. Yeah, black is. and white yeah. is timeless, and it and it. Is we talked about unity. that. But do you know the quote from? Uh, yeah. Can you remember? We talked that, about Daniel? it. Um, um, what was his name? Mike Nichols. Mike the, Nichols, the great said, film director. If you make something in black and white, then it's. If you do something in color, it looks like life, and you know that it's just life. But right. if you do something in black and white, it's about life. Oh. So you know you're watching something that's about life. Wow. It's not trying yeah. to show you life. Right? Not trying and to show you real life or how it actually is. This is a, a, a another lens on it. So it gives you a little bit of distance from yeah. it, which we a little thought bit more stylish, a little like bit more. A yeah. So I don't know. And the other, the real secret practical reason was because I was afraid the leaves were going to change and turn color and you couldn't have orange trees at July 3rd. And right. That's, well, you know what? You're, so you're right. So always the practical and the, you know, highly aesthetic reasons all I think come those together. Things and together they, really well. Yeah. Yeah. You should have had more people smoking, though, because, as you know, don't smoke, it's bad. We have to say that. But smoking in black and white looks was, beautiful. I was worried there was too much because the kids are smoking, I know, right? And they, I was like, are we going to get in trouble for the smoking? But, yeah. but it's 1976. Everybody yeah. Everybody smoked in the in yeah. the doctor's office. The yeah. doctor would come in smoking. I know uh, my my doctor <laughs> smoked. You yeah. would you know you would you would be. Why brushing. was that? Was it people were just still getting over the war or something, or was I it don't just? Know. It's like it was just it was good for you. It was good for your nerves smoking. Yeah. <laughs> You'd smoke on an airplane, and they'd have like a curtain that would co- like right. close off the the the, the non-smoking yeah. section from the. Yeah. I mean, it's well, insane. It, it seems crazy now. I don't smoke anymore, but when I did, uh, I smoked in bars and, you know, yeah. and I worked in bars for years. I did that for a long time. And you would have a gray cloud hanging over you all the time and not really even think twice about it. Now, if I see one, see someone smoking on the street, I'm like, look at that freak. They're <laughs> yeah, smoking on the street. I know, it's crazy. It's so yeah. crazy. And yeah. considering how many cigarettes I've smoked in my life, it seems uh, hypocritical of me to think that way, but wow. I quit not too long ago. I have an app on my phone that tells me how much money I've saved. I'm saving lots of money. Yeah, it's the way to do it. Yes. When I quit, I'll tell you how long ago it was when I quit. I was amazed to find out that cigarettes are like thirteen or fourteen dollars a pack now. Because when I quit, I think the most I ever paid was about five bucks a pack. And for most of the time I smoked, they were like three eighty five. In Nova Scotia, you can pay twenty dollars for a package of cigarettes. Can you? Yes. I just go see Wayne at Giancarlo's, and we always have a smoke outside. That's so right. Yeah. I'll. I'll uh... And that's but, that's the way you do it. But you don't. You are you one of those like I yeah, can smoke he, once a he's week. The worst. And the... He's the worst because I I can't. If I could smoke, if I could smoke like a couple of cigarettes once in a while, I'd smoke. But there's no. That's no. Not I, right. but I he can do that. If I smoke one cigarette, I will run to the store and buy another pack. Like I cannot. <laughs> I, I I cannot touch them. I can't look at them. I can't be around. It's them. amazing that they last. This they're still out. People are still doing it. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Twenty bucks a pack in Nova Scotia. <laughs> uh, the film is called Weirdos. Uh, do we have last thoughts on Weirdos? We have one minute left. 
Go see it. Go all see. the weirdos go. Yeah, all yeah. the weirdos go. Uh, I think, uh, yeah. I think all the weirdos go. That's a good cut line. Yeah. Yeah. There's more weirdos, as I said, there's more, there's more weirdos, weirdos than on not. So our it, side of the yeah, line than on the it, other it, side. If all the, the line, weirdos so. go, you'll, this will be there's like, a uh, <laughs> you know, a Captain America sized head. Yes. <laughs> yes, 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 you are a weirdo. <laughs> Empower your inner weirdo. Weirdos, you know you want to see it. It's a really beautiful, immersive experience about two teens just trying to make a go of it in small town Nova Scotia. My thanks to Bruce and Daniel for coming by and spending the time to swing by the House of Kraus to talk about the movie. My thanks most of all, though, to you. There'd be no point in doing this every week if you weren't coming by and knocking on the door, pulling up a beanbag chair and spending some time with us. So thanks for that. Make sure you come by every single week. We put a new show up every Monday. You never know who's going to drop by and who knows. It just might be one of your favorite people. <laughs>